Welcome to Inclusionism. It is 538 in the PM. I'm your host, James Felton. Keith, welcome to another Sunday uh, to my church where we like to say individuals are at their best when they identify with the community and communities are only at their best when they identify all of their individuals. So we're going to get uh, nerdy again today with our first guest of the year, uh, Miss Cheryl Pam. Uh, I just learned how to say her um, wildly easy last name. But uh, so first, Cheryl, thank you. Thanks for joining me down here in Harlem. Where are you, where are you coming from today? I'm coming from Inwood. Oh, you were? You were at home yeah, before this? Home. Okay. All right. So you were at home before this. So we just met recently in Inwood at, uh, at an event with some of the, you know, local community activists. Uh, Cheryl is what I would call an activist. Do you, do you wear that title? Is it a... Yeah, I would say I'm an activist. Okay, you like that title. Okay, because I think, I think labels are, are really important, and uh, some people do, other people don't. Some people are really particular about their labels, so I think it, you know, it matters when we try to classify you know, who the hell we're talking to half the time. What's going on? Sorry, folks, I'm breaking uh, to you know, say Happy New Year and what's up to people <laughs> walking in the studio. Um, so... Cheryl is an activist. Uh, she's a sociologist. She is a public servant, um, works with New York State, but a bunch of other folks. you got a, a pretty interesting background. When we shook hands the other week, everyone that I knew in the room that I regard as an activist, especially up in Inwood, they kept saying, you need to meet Cheryl. I was like, okay, well, who is she? Like, somebody point her out so I can walk over there really quick. So... Um, what what do you have going on in in Inwood? It's just you. How long have you been there? Did you grow up there? Uh, no, I did not grow up in New yeah. York City. Oh, you I, didn't. I grew up in Connecticut. Oh, you grew up in Connecticut. In Danbury. Oh, I know Danbury. <laughs> Why? <Yeah. laughs> I lived in Brantford for a second. Uh, you know, just east of New Haven. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, very briefly. Yeah, me and my ex fiance lived out there, and you know, it was such a quiet place. We we fell apart and I escaped back to New York. It's a long story. <laughs> it's a much longer story than it sounds like. TMI. Um, all right. So you're from Danbury. You came over here and fell in love with Inwood? Are you just, you know, trying to stick it to the man? Or what What, <laughs> what drives you in, in what you're doing? I think uh, I've always loved cities, and okay. I, I loved New York yeah. when I was a child. It was a place to go where there was culture, there were arts, yeah. there were black people yeah. doing things. I love that. <laughs> Not, so you, Seriously. So you're, you're black? Yes. Just black? Just black. You don't have to that say mean? that in New York. But so what does that mean? I, I'm, I'm about to dig into it because so I get that all the time. Like I am originally from Detroit and I am, you know, black culturally, ethnically. You know, my background is just, you know, Europeans and slaves. But in New York, when I got to New York, I remember walking around the Heights with my mother, who is a little lady with straight hair, shorter than both of us. And she could be. I don't know, a lot of different things in New York. So everyone up there were like, no, you, are you Dominican? Are you Puerto Rican? Or where are you really from? And I'm like, no, we just, you know, Negroes from, uh, from the Midwest. So I have a white what, parent okay. and a black parent. Okay, all right. But, you, but black is an identity, so I like that. I like to say, you know, uh, 
African is a type of drum, but black is black is a drum beat. And so, yeah. So you identify as black. That's that's a thing mm -hmm. that matters. Identity yeah, matters. I mean, yeah. black it means a whole bunch of different things to different people. I agree. So, I so agree. Some people will just, you know, even my brother-in-law one day was, uh, I, I forgot what we were talking about, but he said something along the lines of, and he is, he's African-American yeah. from New Orleans. Yeah. Comes from a pretty conservative family of ministers and mm. religious people. Okay, yeah, down there. And uh, but anyway, he said, "You know, real black people." Ooh. And I said, "Say what it." What are you talking about? I want to hear what he I said. I was teasing yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you guys, you know. <laughs> oh, oh, he said you guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he was saying it was otherizing the whole. So you know, the real I black mean, people. It's different things to different people, and they're just some things that. We didn't do. We didn't grow up doing because our mother was white. Yeah. Oh, really? I, I can remember uh, going to a cookout with a friend of mine who's Chinese American, uh -huh. and her mother could not wait for me to get there because I was going to bring potato salad. Well, oh. she had in her mind oh, right. some kind of potato oh, salad. Oh, yeah, right. And my potato salad was not was that not potato it. salad. Oh, no. <laughs> that potato salad. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. That's uh, that. I, yeah, I usually get that now with macaroni and cheese. Um, yeah, no, that's funny. Uh, you're right though. Black is it's a cultural identity, you know, adopted by a whole bunch of us, and people use it in different ways. But uh, I think it is important to know like who who uses it. I do find as I move around a lot of the city, especially in this people of color era, which I am totally a fan of promoting everyone. It seems as though, and this is a conversation we have often here on this radio show and in Harlem in general, that the the black piece is sometimes sort of diluted or forgotten about or washed away when people talk about the broad collective. But um, all right, so interesting to know. I didn't know that, folks. I did. We literally we met a couple of weeks ago. We emailed a couple of times, and I wanted to have Cheryl on uh, mainly to talk about land use issues and the struggle that's going on up in Inwood that uh, I know people who are activists are aware of, but I don't know if everyone is really aware of what's happening up there. And so let's dig into that a bit. So you all uh, up in Inwood uh, just won a pretty significant court case where uh, a judge here in Manhattan uh, ruled in you all's favor, in the, the community's favor, against a rezoning plan from the city of New York, uh, from de Blasio and his uh, respective departments, HPD and others. And a lot of that activism started, my first exposure to it was maybe 36 months ago and with the group Northern Manhattan is not for sale, mm -hmm. which if I'm not mistaken, but so feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, jump in here, was really born out of professional activists that came from Met Council. No? No. Okay. Um, it was sustained mm. by the organizer that Met Council generously hired. Right. To bring our community together. But um, What was her name? Is it Nova Lucero? Nova, right. I think she just moved to the Northwest Bronx yeah. committee. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I saw her yeah. Anyway. It I mean it's the but kind they hired it, her, yeah. They hired her and thank God because it's the kind of work that a bunch of volunteers can't hold yeah. together. It's work. It was it's work. work. I mean, yeah. not only did that rezoning fight take the entire community, mm -hmm. it took so much time. It was like 
it became everyone's job. Mm-hmm. That's know? what it felt like coming up there. I would feel guilty if I couldn't make it up to an event, <laughs> really. And people look like, you're not here. I'm like, I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying to. It takes 30 minutes to get here, just like it takes 30 minutes to get to Midtown from Harlem. But anyway, yeah. So, so the, the, the executive director of Met Council, she actually lives in Inwood. Some people say it's not Inwood. It's uh, Fort George or whatever. But she... Yeah, we'll talk about that. She in initially... <laughs> Ava, Ava Farkas... Mm-hmm. Um, Yep. She and I initially were working together before oh. Northern Manhattan is not for sale was born. Okay. Um, and then I kind of switched gears because I love elections. And mm. a friend of mine wanted to run for state assembly. Who was that? Uh, George Fernandez. He was oh. the chair of the community board. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. And I was like, well, I can always come back to Northern Manhattan is not for sale. But yeah. I need to, you know, help him. Help George. Yeah, sure. So that's what I... You know, and and he was also involved in Northern Manhattan is not for sale, but as a candidate. So, yeah, that's been yeah a lot of, again, my experience going up there was, again, I I did an exploratory campaign for Congress down here in 2018. So I met the Carla Fisks and the Phil Simpsons, et cetera, coming up there in the capacity of, hey, I'm I'm a candidate or I want to be a candidate. And I'm thinking about I want to know what's wrong up here or what you all think is wrong. So it never felt like I was. You Connecting. Know. Yeah, I mean, well, no, like I was, I feel like we had a, really a bunch of great times. I almost got into a fight with Adonis Rodriguez <laughs> on behalf of Carla. He, they were harassing women when during the last election, and I'm a bit aggressive, and he's short, and so it gives me a minute to he's sort of... He's not short. He's shorter than me, and so it, it really plays on my small man complex. And I was like, we can just duke it out in the middle's <laughs> corner. I'm young. Let's do- Anyway, Well, let me back up, but... No, I want you to keep going where you were going with the with the group and the formation in the early days of it. But it just it felt like sort of an outsider trying to figure out how to, you know, add advice, talking with Phil and company about strategy, et cetera. But Nova was really important because she was a pro. Nova was extremely and, important yeah. as as a professional, uh, you know, organizer. Yeah, that that's and a thing now, which I don't think it someone was. Someone who is Dominican. Our yeah. community is primarily Dominican, mm-hmm. um, who speaks Spanish. Mm-hmm. Who knew how to reach out, mm-hmm. um, and who knew how to keep us together? Yeah, no, they were so. I remember how organized those meetings were, and I would sort of take back commentary to East Harlem, who had been rezoned a couple years before, and just saying we don't. I just I wasn't seeing that sort of organization in other, but not just East Harlem, but other places across the city. It's gotten a lot better now. Well, the, the community, yeah. I mean, so that's why, you know, what Met Council did was so significant. Because yeah. that was a choice totally. made by the executive director. She didn't have to do that. It had a huge impact. Yeah. Um, but the community was organized in factions, mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. lot of factions, and separate. Sure. You know, all in their silos. At first, People were opposing the rezoning for varied reasons. It took some time to come together. For example, I was quite suspicious of the people who had organized to save the library. Oh, that's how I met all those folks. Very suspicious of that. Um, Oh, but why? I'm just, I'm curious. The the library itself or? Partly because, one, I don't use the library. library. Right. You know, I buy my books. Sure, Um, sure. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need to go to the library. So I couldn't understand the deep, deep attachment to Mm. it that went beyond the people who were kind of like the front, the leaders of Save Inwood Library, because I I looked at them and I was like, you don't go to that library, you know, like, no, (laughs) right. But it was infrastructure. (laughs) And I suspected that it was more of a NIMBY movement 
Mm. when really it was people trying to communicate how deeply, deeply important the library was Mm. as a community institution and the many, many purposes that it served for people in the community. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it was a little bit of a shock to understand how important it was. It's fascinating to hear you say that because it makes me think about, um, again, I'm, I'm usually looking all, at all of these issues. I'm a process engineer and economist by trade, so I look at everything as a system. And I'm usually looking at those systems for opportunities to have a legal fight. And my intro, and for folks who are not familiar, Save Inwood Library was an activist group to save the Inwood Library. Uh, you can Google the library or put chopping into your maps. But uh, they were, as Cheryl was saying, one of the many groups that came together under Northern Manhattan is mm-hmm. not for sale. And I, I do remember when they were new and some of the worry from some of the people who, you're right, they don't look like they use that library. There were some activists there who had kids who use the library, but most of them were older people, mm-hmm. white people who didn't need to use that particular library. And anyway, they were worried that they wouldn't be accepted into the Northern Manhattan not for sale group um, or that they wouldn't be heard. And it's fascinating for, I'm, I'm glad that you add some color to it. Uh, and just, again, as someone who is active, can also admit, like, you know, I live my own life, and so I don't necessarily see everyone's path to, you know, this this common goal that we've had. But I think, you know, Northern Manhattan not for, is not for sale is, uh, is really substantial in that way because, you know, over what I would call a relatively short amount of time, it looks like a bunch of folks came together and started to get why they were all at the table. And yeah. now you all are this interesting motley crew of different ages, different races, different genders, yeah. and different parts of the neighborhood. Yes. It's crazy. It is crazy. And it's really Ava and Nova. And it's, that's their sort of professionalism, that there was a budget available. Well, to make it, that there was a budget available yeah. for, for an organizer, yes, that made yeah. all the difference. But still, the organizer had the challenge of bringing us together and giving us a reason mm-hmm. to come together. And and I'm sure at times even even Nova was having doubts about the different groups and what why they were really there and what mm. their motives were. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not an easy thing to bring people who are so passionate about their own particular issue mm-hmm. together and to get them thinking about other people's issue but issues but i i think in the end a, a lot of people have come to see the value of all of the points that we raised and a lot of them mm. wound up being in the article 78 lawsuit right you know this library was a big deal yeah in the lawsuit and for me the issue was the displacement of black and latino people that's a big issue in yeah. the lawsuit um the impact of the rezoning on the independently owned small businesses yeah. that are primarily uh run by dominican women yeah that yeah. was a big issue mm-hmm. you know no yeah i think uh when i first again heard about the library project and then it, you know, going downstream to discover Northern Manhattan is not for sale. Um, and again, meeting other candidates, meeting uh, like Josue Perez, I think, was gearing mm-hmm. up to run at that time right. and other folks. And then I met Graham, who seemed like he was outside the party system at that point, but now he's a Democratic club. You oh, know, let me just president. give you a little comment on that. Yeah. So a lot of people in Inwood, this, is, this was my experience mm. when I did run for city council in 2013. Mm. Um was that people were very positive, especially in that little western corner of Inwood, about my candidacy. 
except they weren't registered Democrats. And they really thought they were making a freaking statement by not being registered Democrats. Oh, yeah, yeah, And it just, I was like, all right, this is not going to help. I was that guy 15 years ago, but yeah. Thank you very much, you know. It's the education (laughs) thing. People go, you know, I don't need to. Anyway, but keep going. So they thought. So, and a lot of them are the people that you see now in northern Manhattan. It's not for sale. Um, are they registered Dems now? Some of them are. Um, some of them are registered elsewhere. You know, oh, they're they just vote, huh? they're community activists, but they vote somewhere else. Yeah, mm, I meet those people like, oh, I have a home in Georgia, and it really matters. I like Stacy. I'm like, you don't vote there. <laughs> like, so I mean, it's 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 a tough community. You know, you either need to fit the ethnic profile, or mm, you mm. really have to have strong kind of insurgent outsider support. Yeah, and no, I've I've seen that especially for uh, assembly senate up there. Arguably not senate because of how the district swiggles around, but uh, definitely for city council and and uh, assembly. And um, it's a really interesting place that I don't know that people far south of Inwood or or the Heights at least pay enough attention to. I do know there's regularly some argument about where the Heights starts and stops. And there are a bunch of Heights activists that I find up in the the Inwood conversations because a lot of the Democratic clubs overlap both neighborhoods. But um, well, Robert Jackson's club definitely overlaps. uh, Yeah, yeah. It's the club. But before that, there weren't. Right. The Obama Democratic Club did a little, but. His club is is much more balanced. Yeah, when the Obama Democrats, when when Obi was still around, uh, uh, you know, bef- before Obi being passed away, right. it's, it felt more like they were a, a heights group. Heights, yeah. yeah, a Washington Heights group. Um, and anyway, I mean, the population of the neighborhoods together is sort of it's relatively small, so you know, it, it makes sense for for both clubs to play well uh, up there. Um, and then obviously you have the other new club, the Northern Manhattan, the the for change guys, the oh Adriano's club. That's not new. I uh, no no I'm not not that it's new, but I mean it's uh it's been insurgent to the insurgent? the county party in in general. I would call it that. Yeah, I think people people in Harlem. You mean he's competing with Keith? The, not just Keith, but like. Uh, He's competing with everybody up here. He's, I think he's he's been race baiting a lot of. I mean, I think he's attacking Al Taylor right now, like right this second. Thinks he doesn't need to be in the office. Thinks someone Dominican needs to be in the office. Well, I mean, just that's, for the sake that's, of being Dominican. Well, and I think that's and and problematic. That, you know, that's why he would support Idanis. <laughs> you know, running for Congress. So I mean, you know, he used to. He sort of killed him. Now Idanis is running for Congress in a neighborhood he doesn't right. live in. And he should be running against us, but he's a coward and. um I just said that live. He's a coward? That's what I think, sure. Because he should be running for Congress here. No, he's picking a race that, that, that is what? viable. There's really, it's, He's viable Dominicans. there against Dominicans. Ruben Diaz and Richie Torres and there? Michael Blake. Why are Dominicans there? No, I know that they're Dominicans there. They mostly live over there because they can't afford to live over right. here anymore, so it, which is his he's fault got a shot. and Adriano's. He's got a shot. He definitely doesn't have a shot, but he, he has a reason. <laughs> it's a, it's a, he has a reason. It's good rhetoric. Yes, yes. it is. Yes, he sure. has a reason. All right. He, he can, can be there. That. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't know about a shot. Um, so <laughs> you know, we might end up with uh, Diaz because there are just too many progressives running, <clears throat> and he's got a nice solid base. That is an argument, and he does have a solid base. I think it's one of the main reasons, uh, at least per the crowd going up and down Broadway on the Manhattan side, 
that we usually talk about while we're running against Adriano, who has been very supportive of Ruben Diaz. I think he is... <laughs> I'm not of the group who just wants to call it a conservative base. I think he's, he's an outright bigot. He's a relic. And the people who support him represent that. They they prop that up. But they're not ashamed of it. I'm no, a they're not. bit no, they're shocked not. by the I mean there are people in South Carolina and Texas media. who aren't media. Yeah. They're they're who they're they down. Are. They're down for the but, get down. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's the thing. Uh but aside from that politics specific to the uh the issue of again the library, the lawsuit in northern Manhattan is not for sale. I think what attracted me to that project is the main argument that I was looking to make was that it's a bad infrastructure play. So as we add, and you've, I feel like a broken record saying this in front of you, but I think to a lot of the listeners, it's new. If we add new population to any part of this tiny island, it requires some infrastructural reinforcements. And everything, I would say, above 155th Street just does not have it. Arguably stuff above 150 the grid doesn't have it. Yeah. The subways, the bus yeah. system. All you of know. it. If you trying to cross town mm-hmm. with a bus is. That's it, crazy. Yeah. 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 You can walk it anyway. Yeah. The schools. It's crazy. The schools. So um, I want to keep this conversation going. So we're going to take uh, we're actually not going to take a slight break. Um, HCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. I just had to play that station idea really quick. No commercials. Um, also, no calls. I've seen the light pop on twice. And um, please feel free to email us on the site or um, you can tweet us and we'll tweet it back out to Cheryl and, and try to keep the conversation going. But so let's tumble down the rabbit hole of, of what this lawsuit was, what you all presented. Um, so, you all as a collective, as Northern Manhattan is not for sale produced your own set of preferences and I get that it's it's imperfect and is being amended now but you you produced a document uh, for the community board which at least per my experience was rare um, in regards to the rezoning stuff you all wanted to see are you familiar with the document for yes the, I worked on so it a little bit what is, what, so what were some of the things some of the highlights from that document that you all would have done differently than what um de Blasio was was proposing or what were some of the the priorities was it more assessment stuff or was it specific stuff well I would say probably the most significant difference mm. uh, is in the area of our greatest need in our community and that was with respect to the affordability of mm. the housing that de Blasio was mm. proposing yeah so he was not proposing housing that more than half the people in our community could afford. Could actually afford, right. Yeah, I mean, that that is the number one issue across New York. I think a lot of, most cities, most big cities, most urban areas. I was in Chicago recently, and they were having a similar conversation, similar conversation in L.A. I was there a few months ago. Mm-hmm. But, um, so have you all thought about, and this is one thing I talk to a lot of folks when I'm talking to them up there, I'm I'm talking to them about... Can there be a campaign next on rebranding affordability? Because the word has context, just like how we talked earlier about labels and brands and how we understand ourselves, you know, blackness being a thing in a box. There may be some holes that people can move in and out of, but it's it's mostly a thing in a box. 
affordability means one thing. And I think that to work in New Yorkers, New Yorkers who vote but are not politically involved or who are not involved as activists, when they hear affordability, they go, oh, that's a good thing. There can't be anything wrong with that, yeah. right? And so it's a cop-out because, again, our, our incomes, uh, earned or otherwise, aren't high enough to... To afford what live what a we're decent life and pay the rent. So, right. but but that's why uh, you know you heard people all over the city asking that question: affordable for who? Yeah, they know? do not. Right, I like that one. Affordable I think there needs to be who? more of a hashtag and T-shirt. I didn't see it trending enough, but um, even you know, I went to a few Met Council meetings and I met a bunch of young women from upstate who were like, you know, we're here, we're part of this fight. And as we started to move up into with the Housing for All Coalition in Albany. Yeah, a lot of people were screaming that, but I think the <laughs> the, the the step past affordable for who is like what is the new like what do we establish as the next base? I think if we don't establish it, some politician who is wholly bought and sold by real estate interests, they'll rebrand it as something else. I think my hope is that the Avas of the world um, will will help us sort of leapfrog the rhetoric that we've been using so that we can have something uh, more in interesting. But is that are those conversations that you're hearing? Is, are people those talking are like that? Those are conversations that we're going to have again because um, we're going to take a second look at the plan that we submitted. It's the Uptown United right. alternative rezoning proposal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we're going to take a second look at it. So rebranding and, you know, mm. redefining yeah. and setting new goals that is going to be going on in the near future yeah so there was a meeting what thursday what is it sunday yeah thursday i'm really bad on days of the week i feel like my whole week is just it's one long week and it's blurred all together but um so no the meeting on thursday a lot of folks were talking about that about revisiting that plan and i was trying to summarize and again this isn't the proper, you know, legalese of, of the court case, but I was trying to reduce for people rhetorically to politicize how we should be communicating what happened in Inwood. And so what I've been advocating for is to reduce it all to the idea that the community board has new powers, that it didn't know that it had. And that's, I think, important because it can, at least per the land use committee on community board 12 which if folks aren't familiar is the heights and inwood is um why do you say the community passive. board has powers that it didn't know it had yeah so so the reason i think that that happened is when we look at the process of what northern manhattan not for sale did with the community board it made a proposal adjacent to what the city's proposal was and it compelled the community board who is you know a good reflection of the community to go against the rezoning and then when it came into the court of law, the judge sided with the community or the people and the community board as a proxy. And I think that's never been done before because usually that decision comes down to one or two people. The mayor makes a play and the city council member backs it up. It's sort of their decision no matter what. Like we can, we can make as much loud noise as we want, but in the past, if the city council member and the rest of the city council who usually defers to that member to say, it's their choice because they know their neighborhood better than us. They get to make a choice. And again, I'm well, oversimplifying let, let, here. You, but yeah. you are you are sort of missing. But I think it's necessary for the politics. You're missing because, some. Yeah. You're missing some relationships. So, like the community board can always vote no. 
Sure, but they're just it's an advisory irrelevant. board. They don't have any power. It's irrelevant. Exactly. The power was the people in the community who decided we are going to fight back and we are going to sue. Oh, no, sure. This fight's not over. I agree. So the plaintiff in the Article 78 was Northern Manhattan is not for sale. Right. No, not I got that. Board 12. Yeah, but the, the deal is being able to use the community board as the initial fight. Right. So so they're the institution. They're a department the of the borough president. That's the process. And the community well, right. board could have voted against us. Sure, they could have. Yeah. But I think if if going forward, the objective is, and I think we should be looking at that as at least here in Manhattan, we have a borough president's uh, race getting ready to come up. Who's available to be free uh, with regards to real estate issues? Um, I will say, anyway, I won't talk about I mean it helped right that now, we were yeah. united no you yeah know, right that no. helped right but I'm trying to find so I sent out an email to about 200 or so people about this particular issue and try to reduce it not to diminish the work the activist work that was done and the fact that the lawsuit was filed separately from a city department which a community board technically there is. was activism to get the community board to do what it did well right so but I think we I think the activism that we do in any community has to filter in. Like, I want to see similar activism in East Harlem to look at, uh, in hindsight, what happened with the rezoning well, and what we can call back. These elected with officials need to fund organizers. Well, here, <laughs> well, what, what happened in Inwood was, uh, I think, two things. You had Ava pay a professional organizer, which we don't get enough of in other, in other areas. But I do think the other thing is a lot of the... In my experience with the different activist groups in the different neighborhoods, there were a lot more lawyers and people with master's degrees participating up in Inwood that I didn't see participating in the activism that I saw mm -hmm. uh, east of Park mm -hmm. or east of Fifth here in Harlem. That made a big difference in terms of the um, public review process during the mm -hmm. EIS review. Mm -hmm. That, that You had a helpful. bunch of environmentalists. That yep. made a big difference. We yeah. had, you know... Maggie Clark. Yeah, Maggie was great. Yep. Geologist, I think. I don't know. We had something. Like, yeah, it's one of Paul those. Paul Epstein. Yeah. He's, what he's is policy yeah. whiz. He'll tell you he's an MIT grad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's worked in numerous administrations. Mm -hmm. You know, we have Phil Simpson. He's a real yeah. estate lawyer. Yeah. Carla. I'm not quite sure what she does. Something in architecture. Yeah, but right. Yeah. Well, she used to. I don't know if she still does. But, uh, but yeah. The, the, no, but this, her feel overlapped in, in that, that regard. That was a, that was a slog yeah. doing that. We we also had a climate scientist. Yep. Um, so it helped because they were making substantive comments. Well, right. And so I think for places that don't have the means, uh, at least from activists in the community, I think it is increasingly important that the external communication from Inwood is take this as a framework, the, a process-based framework, but also the documents that are filed as another framework to say, look at your uh, rezoning. It is probably pretty similar. And uh, probably even, especially, I, I can't help but keep thinking about East Harlem because it's in my district. But everything that was talked about from, from a racial and economic standpoint up in Inwood is quadrupled in, in East Harlem. It's it's the poorest part of this island. And so my hope in trying to reduce everything to the idea that there are new powers is to push over what I don't like. What I don't like about the community board is it is an advisory board. So I think this will help us segue into the, the next part of this conversation is 
one thing that I think we can do a lot better at is adding more democratic structure to our local democracy. We have the same structure that we've had, you know, since the population of, of this city was a million people. And now, you know, it's grown exponentially. And I think the way in which we need to make decisions about these large swaths of people uh, comes down to having more democratic structure in place. And it does two things. It helps us um, heavily vet change and change management. But it also empowers more people to participate, knowing that they'll actually have some teeth. Because even while there are some people who are connected, who enjoy participating or see the value of participating on a community board, mm -hmm. a lot of the the young killers that I know, similar to these people who you talk about who were activists but weren't registered Democrats and weren't actually able to play in the local power, the, there are plenty of people who don't see a real benefit in being on an advisory board. Um, and I think that's problematic. But I think when we talk about community boards, I think we can liberate them more, but I also think we can do that via building structures, via um, TA associations that we're obligated to have in NYCHA, but also outside of NYCHA. You know, we've seen that obligation over the course of the past century bleed over into a lot of other strong TAs and large buildings that are not, you know, NYCHA. So I like having that conversation politically because I think it, it gets people to start thinking about what I don't like the word revolution that much, but what um, what substantial change could look like per our per our democratic structure. But um, but I hear you on on the fact that um, that it's not technically correct with regards to how the lawsuit went about. But I think you know how we get people to organize is uh, is separate than than what our lawsuits are going to look like. So anyway, I'm over talking. But that said, you um, you. So now you're you're looking into a land trust. Yes. That's is that tell me where is that project? Is it is it is it new? Is it it's is not it an institution? New. It, it actually came out of the mm -hmm. whole protest against the rezoning. Okay. So and yeah, give me give me the whole how was all that that working out? Like what what do you all have in mind? You what do you in particular have in mind well, for that for as me, an institution? My my wanting to do that mm -hmm. um was partly rooted in frustration with the constant activity mm -hmm. that Northern Manhattan is not for sale was engaged in. And I just felt like the rezoning was going to happen mm. and we needed to find a way to build something and be a part of it. Mm -hmm. And in addition to the protests, mm -hmm. um, and then one day, the mayor made some comment about how he was willing to, you know, explore land trusts in the city. Mm. And I was like, wow, then we need to get on this. And that's how we started meeting. We were brainstorming. And it's a lot of the same mm. people. Sure. Um, who are involved in Northern Manhattan is not for sale and Save Inwood Library and all, all of the groups that made up Northern Manhattan is not for sale and the lawsuit. Mm. Um, but we were meeting pretty intensively, kind of arguing and 
Really? <laughs> Brainstorming and learning to, you know, work with each other and talk. And Is Maggie a part of that group? No. Oh, okay. Uh, Maggie is not a part of that group, but uh, Paul is. That. Oh, Paul, okay. And yeah. then um, Veronica mm. Liu, who's yeah. from the Word Up mm-hmm, bookstore, mm-hmm. Yeah. and um, Nancy Preston, mm-hmm. um, and a few other people. Sure. But that's have a good been group, like yeah. the core in terms of like mm-hmm. trying to figure out what could we be, how could we be it, how would we raise money, how would we, mm. and so our goal really was to create um, community controlled housing. Okay, that was actually affordable mm. to people who lived in the community, and that would anchor them there, mm-hmm. and that would be a force against displacement, mm-hmm. and. We also had kind of more broad goals because we were looking around and seeing what rezoning would do to the kinds of businesses that were in our community and Mm -hmm. our access to community space Mm -hmm. and, you know, totally redefining what is a community facility so that it would have very little value to the people Mm. who live there. So we also wanted to have affordable retail and actual community space as part of our our goal. So it was really like development, but from a community up kind sure. of perspective. Not like, I mean, so that's a legal play. Uh, I've built uh, land trusts and land banks before. Um, in my work, I used to advise a portfolio of mayors, including the mayor of Detroit after their bankruptcy. Actually, instead of a land trust there, we built a land bank to get rid of predatory, uh, predatory, uh, Tory, excuse me, I don't know why I can't get that word out, uh, um, buyers who were basically coming from other places and holding property and not you know, giving it proper maintenance and trying to get it back in the hands of people. So we would devise strategies like we cut your grass, and but if you didn't pay our modest bill within you know a day, we'd send you another ridiculous bill and then we'd lien the property, take it back, which is a legal process totally within the city's means. And then we put it uh, back on the market to get it to someone who could actually afford to do proper upkeep. Because the problem with that city is no one lived there. Right. Now, with this city, I think a land bank and trust may also be necessary, aside from also rezoning some stuff. So in this new plan, my hope, and uh, something I'm often talking to uh, folks like Phil Simpson about, is... Whatever the whatever land we want, sort of the wish list for a trust, it needs to be including the capital assets, the buildings. It needs to be in this proposal to say we think a certain amount of this land is actually ours and our ability to uh, sustain the dignity of the citizens in this place. It It becomes a human rights issue. Uh, depends on our ability to control these rents and make them actually affordable, mm-hmm. right? So I think that's totally doable. It'll be a hell of a fight because the owners will try to buck it. Yeah. But that's fine. It's a fight worth having. Um, well, we, we uh, I mean, I can yeah. talk a little bit more about that. Go in, um, yeah. Early on, one of the things <laughs> we wanted to do, and I wanted to do it, um, was we wanted to bid on the library project. Yeah. The Inwood Library Project. Okay. I like and, that one. Um, That's a good co-space. 
That's a good commons space, potentially. We started interviewing potential partners since we were pretty much a nothing entity mm-hmm. with no experience. And soon realized that I this was this not going to be viable yeah. for us. Yeah. And um, Why we, not? Just, we weren't ready. We weren't ready to incorporate. And there were lots of reasons why we weren't ready really to do it. Mm-hmm. And even though it was appealing, mm. we, we just weren't ready to jump. And just because there weren't enough professionals at the table who knew what they were doing. Is that what you no, mean? Or what do you mean? We weren't even incorporated. Yeah, but before we that, usually no you say you build, a, you build a company around a product or something. So it's either yes. a, pers- a great person's yes. a product but or a the great partners, product. But the partners, that, the potential partners that we would have joined with, mm-hmm. they could have done it without us. Sure. There was really only one, and I'm not going to say who it was. Sure. There was only one that was actually committed to the idea of a land trust. Yeah. Because it had done such similar work routinely. Okay. Um, it would have been willing to make that kind of like investment in a new organization. And this is a, like a real estate company. You don't, nope. again, don't say who it, it was. was it what was kind of developer? Not for profit developer. Oh, not for profit developer. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So they wanted to play. I think again, a library would be a great initial space. I know I I told you earlier that we had a woman named Sheila Foster on. Uh, and for anyone listening, you should check out the old podcast with Sheila. But she regularly talks about uh, land use and real estate in a concept called the commons. And same way you have certain stuff in Wikipedia, certain pictures in there in the commons. Anyone can use them uh, in in certain ways. And so I like a library in that way. Actually, when I looked at the... Just to give you a little more detail on the project. So the library, and this is why people opposed that project and why Save Inwood Library arose, they were going to knock it down. Yeah build a new library and then build housing on top. Right. And the the benefit to the community would be the housing would be affordable and it you know yep. would be operated by some organization that we we know and love. Right. And um so then I thought well why can't we shoot for that? Also <laughs> why know? shouldn't it be double the library? Yeah. Because that's what would have happened to the population. And again it's another infrastructural yeah, issue. Make it smaller, take away the books. Exactly. I mean, it was a ridiculous plan. Exactly. <laughs> um yeah, no, totally. Uh I was actually getting attacked for going up to uh, sit in those meetings for that project by people down here at other libraries that are at risk (laughs) in Harlem. It's crazy how um, territorial everyone is and how folks don't really see that the the real benefit for all of us. They don't see the pattern. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, you are. We're arguing about that. Like, come on. So anyway. So, no, I didn't know that. I didn't know that you all had moved as far per the land trust of talking to potential partners to help run it. What would you say, if you could have anything you wanted to make it happen, to be able to afford, like, the Novas of the world, not saying it would be her for this particular project, but professionals to run it orchestrated with experience, what is it? Is it, is it mainly a, it's a budget issue to say we, need, is, we need folks to is, come in and be full-time? It is full a budget time. issue, and it is a, you know professional expertise issue like you know you're an organization you have to have like a fiscal staff you have to have attorneys so we're going to move a little more realistically but one one uh woman who really helped us is actually an expert on land trusts and Mm. she has worked with the very first land trust in georgia Mm. Um, her name is rebecca johnson she's also a professor i think at union theological seminary really yes Um, she lives in, in a neighborhood? She lives a little bit north. I think she lives in Riverdale. Riverdale. Yeah, she's, I don't know, 
Should I, I talk to her? <laughs> yeah, you, you, I'll yeah. get you in touch with her. She's, yeah, I want to have her she's on. She's yeah. done land trusts. And so. I don't know her name, but yeah. One of the things I really liked uh, was that she persuaded me that my idea that we not be so dependent on government funding as an entity, because a right. lot of not-for-profits, they're essentially arms of government. They, you know, I want us to raise private money. And I know that's going to be a challenge. And she let me know that, you know, you can do this. And yeah, there's a market for there it. There are models and yeah, sure. there are ways to do it. Right. You just need a, yeah, a pro to court it in. If it, private money is going to come in, then it wants to know that, um, that it's going to be well managed. It's just like pitching a startup. Which is which is why I'm really interested in it because my background is I used to start a bunch of software companies and try to sell them. I was basically trying to sell people to the people who could do work of sorts, and I actually don't think that these would be that expensive to launch because the the kick is after you have enough money to be operational. Let's call that a million dollars for a couple of people. The thing is the assets that you acquire, um, even though they're depreciating assets, they're um, you know, they're securitized or can be at least in a way that benefits the corporation that we see it it prop up. You sort of start to develop an endowment to create a a cultural buoyancy against what we thought was affordable and what is not. Oh, excuse me, I'm knocking my mic around. So no, I I need this to happen. Like I need you all to not not for political purposes, but this is sort of per this show and one of my sort of life goals is to, um, you know, expand democracy and break the definition of capital so that people can actually own a piece of um, of society going forward. I'm a bit of a data geek. I look at personal data, et cetera, as an asset uh -huh. or as natural resource that mm -hmm. people can own. And I think a lot of the arguments that we make with regards to, as an economist, we have define our productivity as a measure of inputs. And so as I would define your data as an input to any productivity, not just Amazon and Google's, but also the cities, mm -hmm. a public and private productivity, I think we can make real formidable arguments now that we couldn't 20 or 10 years ago that you are entitled to you know, a fruitful, dignified existence because you make your area more valuable, period. I mean, New York is more valuable than Detroit because, again, we all live here and no one lives there. Harlem is basically the size of well, Cleveland, not Detroit. But anyway, you get what I'm saying. Right. So so this is something. Are there any plans? It's 2020 now. We're in week one. Is there, and I know that you are going to have more meetings. Is there anything coming up where you you see this sort of formalizing within the next calendar year? That's a yes? Yes. We are starting the incorporation process. Okay, good. So Good. Yeah. And you all are the, the initial board. You the initial board. Okay. And we're going to grow the board, absolutely. Yeah. We want our um, organization to be really democratically run. And we want it to be member-based. And members can run and be on the board. I like elected. it. So I like it. Members are going to make decisions about our assets. Love it. And what we do. Good. Um, so, yeah. So, I like the idea of bringing them on, acquiring, acquiring them, excuse me, uh, directly, but also... There's some city stuff that's up for grabs that these trusts should have. So I just wanted to sort of throw that out there. Like, I think not only should you try to fund it, as Rebecca is saying, with, with private dough, but there is an opportunity to sort of double dip because 
there's a lot of stuff being misused here in the city. I mean, mm-hmm. just with regards to vacancy, you name it. Right, or mismanaged buildings. Yeah, I, I think that if more of these land trusts were to prop up and there were a good infrastructure of them across the city, it'd also be an opportunity to bring back programs Ooh. that have benefited us over time. Well, yeah. I, and that's, that's part of our goal is yeah. to be really like a community-centered kind of entity that mm-hmm. isn't just about housing but really is about development of people in the community. Yes. Um, but that that does take resources. And I think that um, the not-for-profit housing sector in New York City has been very successful, but it's starved mm-hmm. of resources because it's so dependent on New York City and on New York State for funding. Mm-hmm. Um, and the government doesn't want to fund basic operating costs in these organizations. And so you hit a brick wall eventually in terms of your effect and your effectiveness in, in communities. And I don't want they us don't to be, yeah. I don't want us to be one of those. I think they have vision. I think they have vision, but you have to be able to raise private money. Sure. I like it. So with that said, yep. Um, I'm sorry. I'm looking at folks, um, call us off, uh, so we got a, a few seconds left. Is there, where else can we can we follow you and, and stalk you and harass you in the world? <laughs> what is your mother's maiden name? What's your social security number? <laughs> no, what what it? Where can we see your stuff? How can people uh, get in touch with you? Follow the trust? Should they just follow you on social media? Um, you could follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter. I mean, what I got on Twitter because of my council run. Oh, okay, right, but right. I still. You know, retweet stuff. And I saw you retweeting Brian Benjamin a bit <laughs> earlier. Yeah. Well, you know what? That's He's good. doing good things. He is. He's doing good things. Doing some good things. He is. Yeah, I'm with it. I'm, I like Brian. I, I didn't like the rainy day thing, but that that yeah. was just a dumb idea in my opinion. But hey, there's no such thing as a rainy day fund in a state where elected officials are going to spend every single cent they there can get go. their red hands on. There you go. No such thing. <laughs> so people should so spell your your Twitter handle so, so that people don't think it's Cheryl. It's at yep. Cheryl C H E R Y L yep. and then my last name P A H A H A M P A H A H A M folks. And then the Land Trust has a, a Facebook page. It's Northern Manhattan Community Land Trust. Okay. And also if you want to stay in touch in terms of what's going on with the Article 78 lawsuit Inwood Legal Action also has a Facebook page, and it's just Inwood Legal Action. Perfect. So with that, folks, follow Inwood Legal Action. Follow the Land Trust. Follow Cheryl Pam. Am I pronouncing that right That's again? That's right. I thought I was going to mess it it's up again. P-A-H-A-H-A-M, but it's Pam. P-A-H-A-H-A-M. <laughs> uh, it's an extraordinary name. We'll, we'll be back next week. Uh, and we sh- we'll probably have some updates from, from Cheryl soon, because I really want to meet Rebecca. All right. Good. So until next time, thanks, folks.